the thing in question is like what makes a true Christian? And if it's practice, if it's the way that you live, then that can get dangerous. So if you're saying that a true Christian is one who practices well, is one who follows Christ, and that's where we should find our unity in, then that means that all the imperfect people are not really Christians. It, it's it's it stems into this sort of legalism where it's like, well, if you're not living up to this moral standard, then you're not one of us. Mm. Right. And so there has we have to have this this sort of um, we have to keep considering doctrine. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Derry. Guys, check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, mainly also on YouTube. We're doing some, a lot of YouTube shorts, trying to put out more clips as well there. Yeah. Um, so go there, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Go leave a review and subscribe. Um, we got. I noticed the other day we had like... Um, Anchor said, oh, this might be able to subscribe to your show. Oh, it was like pretty cool. That. I was like, wow, I didn't know that, that we got to see that stat. Yeah, wow. So we'll know if you guys listen or not. So, <laughs> so go. It gives us so, all of your names, exactly. And exactly. And address and social. So we Watch can do out. a lot of identity theft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go check it out. Send it to your friends. And um, yeah, let's get into it. What do we got? Yeah. So with that, we've had a lot of shows in the last year, I would say. Mostly because like we're interested in it, mm-hmm. I would say on different streams, different traditions of the Christian faith, right? And um, it seems like you guys have liked those and have been interested in them as well because we can see who watches, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we wanted to continue with that kind of stream. Um, so today we have a really interesting guest. Um, I've been following him on TikTok for quite a while, actually. I've loved all of his videos. Um, John St. Nicholas, he's a really cool guy. Like I said, I really have enjoyed his content, and he's been doing a lot of thinking on this topic as well, um, on unity in the church um, among different beliefs, holding different doctrines. How do we find unity, or what even is like unity? What is the difference between like doctrines that are essential and non-essential between, um, I would say, probably different denominations as well as different streams and different traditions like Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to jump into today a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're excited. Welcome on the show, man. Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I guess I could just start with my own personal journey with diversity in the church. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah, I grew up in the evangelical church, you know, non-denominational, and I heard a lot about other kinds of Christians from you know what the pastors would say. They talked a lot about the Catholics mm. and about Judaism and also about other denom- denominations. Mm. So I grew up with an awareness that, you know, not all Christians agreed on everything. Mm. You know, some Christians met on Saturdays, some met on Sundays, some Christians baptized infants, others disagreed with that. Mm. But my real encounter with diversity came when I first started studying religion and philosophy mm. in college. And I remember taking a an intro course for philosophy of religion and in that course, I was exposed to a lot of different sorts of Christians. Like it was kind of uh, mind sweeping. Um, there were Christians who were revisionary theists, hmm. so they believed that God allowed free will, but He didn't know all the future. Oh, uh, there were theist, Christians. Yeah, yeah there, were, there were Christians who believed that everyone will eventually go to heaven. Hmm. Um, there were other Christians who believed that. Um, uh, if, even if you go to hell, it won't be for eternity. Mm. And it was it was a bit of a, a confrontation. I was I was wondering to myself, like, I get that these people identify that they're Christian, but this is a lot of this is a lot of disagreement. Like, this is a mm. lot of diversity on what they believe. 
what makes them all Christian. And on an even more personal side, right? Because that, that was pretty heady, you know, that was just philosophy. But on a more personal side, I was also taking a New Testament studies course. Mm. And this is something that the show has sort of um, talked about before, um, what we would call progressive scholarship. Mm. Uh, I was taking a course that was largely informed by Bart D. Ehrman. Right. And wow. it was, you know, scholarship of the Bible, looking at how the New Testament came together. Mm. And I started finding that the Bible had all these contradictions, that it had a history of how it came together. And I had grown up not believing that and believing that if you thought that the Bible had contradictions or if you even thought that you could critically analyze the Bible, mm. then we're not a Christian. Right? But I was learning all this and I was I knew that I was still a Christian. I was still very committed to Jesus. Mm. And it was just a point in my life where I was I was thinking, I know there's a lot of diversity, but how much? is too much hmm. um and so this this past year i've been blessed with the opportunity to do uh, a research project hmm. and i i figured that i would choose uh, diversity as my research project hmm. um and which is what we're, we're talking about today um and well i guess before we start i know that y'all have had a lot of like guests on the show but what has your own like encounter with diversity been like hmm. uh in trying in trying to get all these people from all these traditions together mm -hmm. we've actually never had someone on the show ask us a question i know thank That's you awesome. thank you we were That's honored so cool. um yeah i'd say the biggest thing that when, when you say that i was thinking about is i know when i was a young christian like maybe like 18 years old mm -hmm. um my friends and i were talking about like, like the most important thing is to major in the major major in the majors you know mm -hmm. and so the majors being jesus christ death burial resurrection mm -hmm. and belief in and, and faith through and salvation through faith right those are the majors and outside of that it's like a lot of things can be like no well we, we said this like years ago and like people in our personal life have told me like i learned this word because of you but non-salvific right there's ideas out there like the belief in hell like that doesn't determine if you go there or not mm. but it's important how you live your life yeah you know and so that was my experience was kind of like major in the majors but i had this underlying assumption that everyone just also agreed with what I agreed with. Mm -hmm. And so when people are like, like I didn't know until I was about 21 and moved out of my home state that anyone believed that the gift stopped. Mm -hmm. I grew up like a very charismatic inner city Pentecostal church. And so I thought people were like, nope, the gift stopped and God can't talk to you. I was like, uh, that's not true. I've been healed and I've prayed for people and they've been healed. And I talk to God, so I don't... All that. People are like... Because one time I, I remember I had a distinct moment on the plane. I looked down at the ocean. And the first time I was actually like seeing the ocean like flying over the Pacific, I thought, God, that seems like such a bunch of useless water. Why did you do that? Like, we can't benefit from that. Mm -hmm. And if this earth is here for us, why would you do that? And I just felt like the Spirit said, because I like it. And I like shared that story with someone. And they're like, that's not true. God didn't say that. And I was like, how are you going to tell me what conversation I had, you know? And so it was a kind of, that was kind of jarring to realize that, oh, people don't believe that mm -hmm. the gifts happen, you know? So you decided they're not Christians. Yeah. I was like, you clearly need me to pray for you, <laughs> but no. Um, but yeah, it's like the major of the majors, right? So people are like, oh yeah, I believe in like Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but I don't believe the gifts are happening now. I'd be like, okay, that's what you believe, like. Yeah. it's like what's that there's a famous thing that says like something about something like charity 
Um, it's a famous quote that I, it's so fancy I forget it, but it says know. about liberty and charity and like basically like it's a fancier doctored up version of major and the majors. Oh, cool. But what about you? Yeah, I think I grew up not really. Um, I don't know. I've been going to like a non-denom for pretty much my whole life, and so in my mind, everybody was just non-denom. Just because that's like, yeah. it was like there was there was Catholics and there was non-denom people. And that was just like and how... And non-denom is Christian. Yeah, and the non-denoms were Christian and the Catholics were a part of a cult. <laughs> you know what I mean? But not like a cult, but just like they're not going to heaven because they believe you have to like work for your salvation. And that was like the only view. Don't tell Tate that. Yeah, that was the only view that we had. Um, and I just wasn't as informed. Like that wasn't necessarily like the held opinion, I would say like by the pastors that I knew and stuff. But that was the communicated opinion from a lot of, like, the elders that I had talked, like, a lot of my elders that I had talked to. Um, so, yeah, I would say I had a, had a pretty closed-off view, but mostly just because of the lack of education, I would mm-hmm. say. I would say now, like, I think that maybe it's because I've evolved. But it seems like the church around me is also evolving to be more inclusive of people having different ideas. And it could be because of like, the rising tensions in, like, uh, tribalism of, like, you have to be this tribe, you have to be that one, and people kind of realizing, like, oh, that's not only a system that works for any kind of, like, getting anything done, because we're always going to be able to divide into different tribes and then subdivide those tribes into smaller tribes, and we're going to be at war with each other forever and not be able to have any kind of unity. And I think some people are kind of realizing that, of, like, what is something that is important so that we can kind of get stuff done for the kingdom of God and what isn't. But that maybe that's just my circles. I know there's tons of churches, and I have other friends, too, that don't share that opinion at all. Um, that's just kind of what I've seen online, I think, mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Well, you also grown up, maybe you experienced this, too, but, like, we, non-denom growing up was, like, yeah, Catholics aren't Christian. And, like, we have, like, students who will be like, we're going to this country to preach the gospel to the Catholics, so pray for their salvation. <laughs> and, like, me and Daria look at each other like, the, some of them probably are saved. Yeah. There's also, like, probably a bunch that aren't saved because it's probably just dead religion for them yeah but well, such the is the case yeah. in the united states such is the case for many people who call themselves christians here yeah uh, but i found that quote real quick and then I'll, we'll turn it back over to you but it says and we would all embrace a mutual unity in things necessary in things non-necessary liberty in all things charity and so that's kind of like probably more of the view i've had is like look and the things that are necessary mm-hmm. mutual unity yeah. Everything else, charity, which we allow it, but like we don't have to agree with it. But in everything, or liberty, and then everything we want, charity, we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. We want to give people like, yeah, but assume I, the best. I can them. just hear a reformed person right now being like, well, "You're compromising the gospel." You know what I mean? And maybe they have a fair point. There's something to be argued and, and made there, and, and I would listen to that argument. Source. Yeah, it's just not necessarily something that I hold to right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. No, that, I think there's a lot there. Um, that quote I've actually heard, I think I've heard it a lot in reform circles, hmm. uh, as as well as like the scholarship on John Calvin. Um, but yeah, my, like my first I guess induction to Christianity, like when I first started to own my faith, was in those charismatic circles that hmm. you were talking about, like hyper charismatic, mm-hmm. and it was it was almost like a paranoia of other Christians, hmm. like. Even as someone, you know, some new pastor comes onto the stage, you have to like test their fruits and test their spirit, mm. test their doctrine. How many people have you healed? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and 
we've seen like it's not just in the charismatic circles right but everywhere in general um like i was thinking about this recently with the asbury revival right mm-hmm. um you have this amazing move of god right that's that's been you know spreading out there's been a whole bunch of other revivals yeah. but people are just so paranoid and yeah. it, it really is a sort of doctrinal paranoia of like anytime something good happens we have to be skeptical yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. which I, I think is useful right because there's been so many times that christianity has been perverted mm. like especially here in america throughout the history of, of, the, of the nation but like this is this is why we can't have good things <laughs> we just we can't trust each other with anything yeah you know um and so it's really it's it's a real problem hmm. but then on the other side from what i've seen is that people are just they tend to be too inclusive right um a lot of i think christians on the left uh kind of throw out doctrine altogether yeah. and they're like you know we don't care about orthodoxy we don't mm-hmm. care about doctrine we just care about uh how you live your life right um mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that stems from a valid concern, right? Because doctrine has been pretty divisive. Mm. And and by the way, for, for those of you that might not, because I mean, from, from my engagements, like I, I talk with people and I'm like, what, what do you think about doctrine? And they're like, what is doctrine? So doctrine is basically just, mm. you know, a teaching from the church. The doctrines are just your beliefs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, doctrines have just been really divisive because no one really agrees on what Christians should, should believe. Mm. Um, and so... Yeah, it, it's it's really a, a challenge to sort of balance, you know, orthodoxy, believing the right things, and what people call ecumenism, which is you know the unity of the church. Mm. Like, how do we mix up those two? How can we be distinct, and how can we be one? Mm. And actually, from what you were saying earlier, um, I think that the motivations for being less uh, tribalistic, mm. I, I think there's two motivations. I think mm. it's secularism is one. Mm. You know, we're we're seeing our country. Um, in a sort of decline of Christianity, right? Mm. Like church attendance is down. Um, there's a lot of vision. And so we see this like this secularism as this sort of looming threat and mm. we have to sort of unify against it, right? Mm. To keep ourselves Interesting. Uh, above the water. And yeah. the other one is religious pluralism, right? Mm. Um, we're coming into contact with people of other faiths and a lot of a lot of people on the right are sort of, they have this idea that there's like this world religion that's going to form and, mm. you know, everyone's going to become one faith. And I mean, against the backdrop of pluralism, we have to ask ourselves what makes us ourselves, mm. like what makes Christians Christian. Um, and so that's, that's really been the question on my mind. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love both those points. Let's talk about it. Yeah. It's yeah. a really, probably something that people ask themselves a lot. Like, we talked about earlier when you encounter Christians who believe like, oh, I don't believe that hell is this, or I don't believe about, like the rapture is happening, and you're like, wow, you guys all need saving. You know, it's like, it's good to ask ourselves the questions and and get into it. So, yeah, where do we go from here? Well, a very popular solution to it has been, well, you brought it up to major in the majors, right? Um, Unity in the essentials, chair liberty and the non-essentials and then in all things charity um and in in my work with my communities like my local church communities this is what i've seen people you know accept this Mm. has been the the popular solution um that you you know you have these essential doctrines that all christians believe in right and then you have the non-essential doctrines which christians are free to disagree Mm. and as long as you're united on the essentials on that bullseye then you're good you're you're in the church Mm. um 
And this is actually a very old framework. This is a very old way of thinking. Like this stems from the Protestant Reformation. I mm. think the the first person to make this distinction was um, his name was Des Desiderius or Desiderius Erasmus, mm. and he made a distinction between the essentials and adiaphora. So adiaphora means things of no consequence. So if you disagree on something, mm. it's of no consequence. It, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and so ever since the Reformation, right? you've had this sort of tendency for Protestants especially to, to think about all of our divisions, all of our schisms, all of our problems, mm. and ask ourselves, well, what really matters here, mm. right? What, what are the things that unites us? What are the things that we disagree on that shouldn't divide us? Mm. Uh, and so this is, like I said, like this is very useful. Like it's been very successful. Uh, I think nearly all Protestants um, accept this. Um, and it does, you know, it, it does help us to make sense of how we can be one and many at the same time in church. Mm. Uh, but I've also been doing a lot of thinking and there's actually a lot of problems with uh, this distinction. Mm. Um, because on the one hand, it's sort of manipulative, right? Because like whenever, I mean, you've probably experienced this before, but like whenever you're like arguing doctrine with someone mm. and all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, this is a non-essential issue, so we don't have to talk about this anymore. Mm -hmm. But you're like, well, I, I kind of wanted to keep on talking about this, you know, like even though, even though like we're, even though we recognize each other as Christians, mm -hmm. it's still helpful to debate things, mm -hmm. you know, even if I want to talk with a Calvinist about predestination, mm -hmm. we can still recognize each other as Christians and disagree and keep on debating, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that's that's one problem, which isn't very serious, right? Mm -hmm. Like, of course, we don't have to debate, mm -hmm. but it's sometimes fun, mm -hmm. you know, to be honest. Um, but then an, another problem is that no one really knows what makes an essential doctrine essential, mm. right? Because, um, I mean, you can list all the essential doctrines that you want, right? The Trinity, the physical resurrection of Jesus, mm. uh, the authority of Scripture, and maybe there's others, right? But what makes those essential? Because just listing all the essential doctrines still doesn't—it still doesn't get you there, right? Mm -hmm. And there have been like there have been answers to it. Like um, one one that I've heard is that if the Bible is clear about it, then it's an essential doctrine, mm. um, which makes sense. But that's pretty—that's still pretty murky, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. what makes what makes something clearly defined in Scripture? Because mm -hmm. I mean that's the very problem that we have. Right? People have different ideas about what's essential, mm. and people have different ideas about what's clear in Scripture. Mm. Yeah, right. A Pentecostal, a Pentecostal might say that speaking in tongues is very clear in Scripture and it's very essential for salvation. Mm -hmm. um, a an evangelical would say that biblical inerrancy is very clear in Scripture mm. and that therefore it is essential. So we don't have a way to know what's clear and what's not clear. Mm. Um, and C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, which is actually a, a work that got me thinking on this in the first place, he says that um, Christians not only disagree um, on, on doctrine, but they also disagree on the importance of their disagreements. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's good. <laughs> and, and, so, and so, yeah, it just it gets you into like this whole, this whole problem, right? Not only are you disagreeing on what the essential doctrines are, but you also disagree on what makes those doctrines essential. Hmm. And so um, instead of instead of uniting people on the essentials, we're dividing them on what the essentials are, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and so f for me, like I'm, I'm very practical, right? If we're going to if we're going to identify a problem in the church and I think I think that doctrinal diversity is a real problem. Mm -hmm. I think that our solution should be useful 
and it should be effective, hmm. right? This, the, distinguish, the, the distinction between non-essential and essential is very popular, but it's not effective. Hmm. Like it doesn't solve the problem of being paranoid about one another. It doesn't solve the problem of, of thinking about unity and diversity, hmm. right? Because we're, we're, still, we're still in this same problem since the Reformation. Like what makes a doctrine essential? What are the essential doctrines, hmm. right? Uh, and so, and so we need to push past this, this framework if we do want to make better sense of how we can be Christians and disagree, hmm. right? And, and, and the other problem is that, you know, sometimes it is important to disagree on non-essential doctrines, hmm. right? Like, think, yeah. think back to the time of slavery, right? We would, I mean, today we would think of slavery as a pretty, if, if not essential, it's very important, yeah. right? Of course, we're not going to allow slavery. But back then, you know, slavery wasn't on the doctrinal level as the trinity or mm -hmm. biblical authority mm -hmm. yeah lives were at stake there mm -hmm. you know it wasn't essential but it was very important and so sometimes it is important for us to disagree on the non-essentials and to hold each other accountable and be like look like this may not be a uh, an essential issue but we need to fix something here mm -hmm. and i think for our own generation we were facing those same things right when it comes to our engagement with politics Right? when it comes to our engagement with um, people who are same-sex attracted, mm. when it comes to our engagement with, um, with people of other denominations, like it's important to, to, to hold each other accountable for what we're doing because Christians can be pretty harmful. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, people get hurt by the church. Um, and so, there, yeah, there, there has to be this accountability. We can't just step back and be like, oh, well, we agree on the essentials, so let's just not mm. fight about this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, because with the non-essentials, I think the reason the disagreement is so sharp and so, at times, a lot of times divisive, is probably out of an attitude of, like, I want to preserve the Word of God in the best way possible, right? Where it's, like, for the, the slavery slavery thing, and the people who are like, no, you can't own people. It's not right. It's because they're looking at, like, if we allow this, it allows a bunch of sin to happen. Mm -hmm. And so even though it's a non-essential, the fruit of that practice results in like degrading humanity not seeing people in the image of god and manipulating and using and abusing people right and so for them it's like oh my gosh we, we have to guard against this because it opens the door for all this sin mm. and it, with that perspective it's like oh yeah of course people with these different different agreements or different perspectives would be so like serious about it because they're like we are trying to preserve the best way we can follow god and if we allow for all these things like where does it stop it's kind of like one of the worries people have with progressive Christianity is like, well, if you don't believe in eternal conscious torment, then it opens up all these other things that possibly could lead to heresy. So we kind of want to maybe stay here. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, the question of heresy is also an important one because if we look through church history, a lot of the people condemned as heretics, we would say today that they were disagreeing on non-essential issues. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, you know, if, if essential doctrines, if you disagree with, with the non-essentials and you can be a heretic, then what use are the essential doctrines really, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, be, you know, because of all the problems as we've talked about before, because of all the problems with doctrine, people have just sort of discarded them, right? And, and they've moved more to practice. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you living like? What's your life like? Are you following Jesus? And this, you know, it seems more inclusive, right? But it's it, it can be also pretty dangerous mm. because if, if you're holding, you know, because the thing in question is like, what makes a true Christian, mm. right? And if it's practice, if it's the way that you live, 
then that can get dangerous, right? Like we, we talk a lot about backsliding and how we always fail to live up to the standards that we hold ourselves to, mm. right? So if you're saying that a true Christian is one who practices well, is one who follows Christ, and that's where we should find our unity in, then that means that all the imperfect people are not really Christians, mm. right? It, it's, it's, it stems into this sort of legalism where it's like, well, if you're not living up to this moral standard, then you're not one of us, mm. right? And so there has, we have to have this, this sort of, um, we have to keep considering doctrine, but we, we can't really, you know, we can't really hold to this essential, non-essential distinction because it's, it's just too problematic, but we also can't throw it, we can't throw doctrine out. Mm. Um, and so one thing that I've been thinking about is, well, how, how can you connect the two, right? How can you connect doctrines to belief? Because um, I always think about, you know, what Jesus is teaching. Jesus always, 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 he, he, he moved from the outward to the inward, right? Um, he says that, you know, you've heard it said that if anyone commits murder, that he's sinned. But I tell you, if anyone even has anger for his neighbor, that he has committed murder in his heart, mm. right? Or the, the same with lust, right? He's like, you know, you've heard it heard that if you sleep with another man's wife, then you've committed adul adultery. But if you even look at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery, right? Mm -hmm. So he brings everything to the, to the inner, to the inner, uh, parts of yourself, right? To your heart. Um, and I, I think that we often think of like practice, right? Like um, taking the sacraments or uh, doing good works. Like those are all expressions of something that's much, much deeper hmm. um, as well as beliefs, right? Because um, as, as much as we want to uh, find the truth, right? Find the true things to believe. It's often us that's, that's picking the beliefs that suit ourselves best, hmm. right? Um, Christians often, I think Da Vinci said this, um, he said that God created man in, in his own image and then man returned, returned the favor. Right? There's, <laughs> there's so many, yeah. there's so many times our idea of God is actually like us projecting ourselves onto who we want God to be, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's, there is a real problem there where, you know, whenever you meet someone with their beliefs, there's a lot of themselves in their beliefs as much as there is of God, mm -hmm. right? So, so we have to sort of like, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. Like what is truth versus what do we want to be true? Because we want to be, you know, we want to be able to do what we want to do. Um, but anyways, there, there is a very important connection between belief and practice. But if belief and practice are sort of like these external parts of ourselves, then we have to turn more inward, right? Like what is the importance? Why do we do good works? Why do we care about baptism? Why do we care about belief, right? Like why is Christianity so centered on belief hmm. um and i think it has a lot to do with the heart and because like i said jesus says that um you know it's about it's about what's in you that defines what you show right hmm. he says that from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks hmm. um and throughout the old testament the prophets and the writers they talked about the heart as this sort of like inward thing mm -hmm. right in the book of samuel um it's written that, uh, you know, the heart is is so inward that no one really knows it. Only God knows your heart. Hmm. And uh, is it is it Jeremiah that says that the heart is so deceitful that who can know it? Right. Hmm. Um, and so as Christians, whenever we think about what we do, when we, when we think about what we believe, what we speak, we have to think about the heart because that's where everything starts. Hmm. And so if we think about beliefs, then 
the only the only way that or the only reason that God would you know disclose him himself his truths right that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that he is calling you into into life abundant it has to do something with that heart mm. right and so the the idea that I've come to is basically this that whenever we think about doctrine doctrines are there to to sort of guide your heart right mm. um, I, I think about the example of someone who has lost his maybe he's lost his wife right mm. and he's he's going through this difficult difficult time he's, he's thinking like how could god allow this mm. right at that moment he's dealing with some serious theological questions mm. like, how can god allow my wife to die how could he allow her to go out in such a painful way mm. and at that moment you know it's it's the doctrines of the church that are guiding his heart right um that you know god god identifies with his pain or, or god has a plan for this or god has a purpose for this mm. right and doctrines always serve to, to comfort us, even when it's in more like everyday circumstances, right? Like if you're if you're with your friends and your friends are gossiping, they're talking trash about someone else, mm. and you're sitting there and you're like, well, you know, the Bible says that gossip is a sin, right? Right. You have to, re you have to recall that doctrine to you to guide you in that moment, mm. right? So doctrines aren't just about; they don't just stay in your head, yeah. right? They pierce your heart. They pierce your heart all the time. Um, and of course, sometimes we ignore um, what we would call conviction, right? Sometimes we ignore conviction and we just do whatever we want to do. But the goal is to to always be guided by the truths that God has revealed to us. Mm. And that's what helps us to live as Christians, right? And now this sounds a lot like the people who sort of toss out doctrine and just focus on practice. But this is, this is a little deeper, right? Because... Um, Whenever we think about, like, just think about your everyday Christian life. Like, what is it to, to live as a Christian? It's a journey of growth. Hmm. It's a journey of transformation. Um, it isn't just this, like, status that you achieve and all of a sudden you live perfectly, right? It's, it's this sort of, like, highs and lows and valleys and peaks. Hmm. And sometimes you fall and sometimes you get back up and sometimes you're just stagnant. Hmm. Um, and every single Christian lives that way, right? Um, Every single Christian is on a journey of transformation. This is mm. what we call in theology sanctification, right. right? It isn't this sort of like linear progression that you get better and better. It's very messy, mm. right? Um, but you're always trending upwards. And doctrines in some way, you know, doctrines, practice, the sacraments, everything, it sort of serves to, to guide your hearts on that journey of transformation. And what if... Okay, if we if we think about sanctification as like the central point, what if Christians who believe differently, who disagree on different things, what if you can have different beliefs and your heart can be sanctified in similar ways? Okay, hmm. so even if you disagree on every single point of doctrine, or not every single point, but if even if you disagree on points of doctrine, the two of you, you know, you're still being transformed to be more like Christ hmm. through the doctrines that you believe ideally mm -hmm. right you're both on this journey of sanctification and so i think that centering it on on this transformation of your heart i think that this is the bond of unity that the church has mm -hmm. right if you are being transformed if you are being renewed in your mind and your heart then you're christian you're truly christian and that's where we find our our unity mm -hmm. right and i think you know it sounds pretty vague but think about it like if you think of a if, if you think of the idea of a false christian Right. Like we, we there's a lot of examples of false Christians in, in the Bible mm. and false believers. These are the people who've become um, 
content with where they are. These are the people who think that they have the truth mm. and they don't want to live like it, right? The Pharisees are such an excellent example of this, right? Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you know, listen to the Pharisees, do what they say, mm. but don't do as they do. Like they have the truth, but they are not letting it transform their heart, wow. right? And that's when doctrines become doctrines, when the doctrines pierce your heart and they change you and they transform you to look more like Christ. Mm-hmm. If that isn't happening, then someone probably isn't Christian, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so again, it's around transformation that we should unify. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's, yeah, there's also a, a question of like, you know, transformation is like pretty pretty hard to tell. It is hard to tell if someone is being renewed, right? But, but that's the point, right? The viewing viewing doctrine in this light, it's like yeah, like it is hard to tell if someone is being sanctified. So stick around and find out, mm-hmm. right? Um, if, if we, you know, if we go back to the sort of like essential, non-essential framework, the test for Christianity is, you know, do they agree on the essentials? Well, then they're Christian. And then that's the end of that. There's no, there's no reason to fellowship with them. There's no reason to stick around for them. But if you, if you want to find other Christians, then you have to stick around and see, you know, learn about their testimony, learn how they're being transformed and, and learn how they're witnessing for Christ, Mm -hmm. right? There's a reason that you have to stick around. Yeah. And and when we think about unity, like it isn't just like, oh, do you agree on these essential doctrines? Oh, I do too. Like let's we're still Christians. See you later. Yeah. You know. No, like unity unity isn't just agreeing on certain propositions. Mm. You know, it isn't just agreeing on certain like sentences that you speak. Mm. Unity is is transforming together, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's so I, I really I really I, I really think that we make a mistake when we try to think about sanctification as something that God does just for us. It's something that we share. Like it's yeah. something that we're supposed to share. Jesus wouldn't have made the church if he was just like, oh, like, you know, have your personal relationship with me and mm-hmm. then, you know, go your merry way and become a monk and live all the days of your life alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even the monks live together. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, when we, when we think about sanctification, we it is this sort of like reason to be with other Christians who are on that journey with you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I really like that. Yeah, because. Yeah. The, the thing that is uh, is tricky about this, and it's probably why people don't like to think this way, or maybe also they just haven't because they haven't been presented with this idea, maybe. Mm-hmm. But when you look at sanctification, as a, or what makes a Christian is the transformation of the heart to the conformity of Jesus mm-hmm. through faith in Jesus, then it gets a lot more messy, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not so easy to be like, yeah, like the vetting process of... Um, that we have with adoptions, right? Yeah. The vetting process is like, oh, do you believe the same things? Okay, now we can be friends. It's like, I love how you said, stick around and find out. Mm-hmm. That requires us to be in a vulnerable position to say, hey, I'm going to treat you as a brother in Christ and, and like be vulnerable with you in these different ways, mm-hmm. knowing full well, like, who knows? Maybe in like 10 years, old, it'll show that, oh, you weren't, you maybe didn't grow. Maybe you weren't being genuine. But who knows? Maybe year 11, they actually get it and it clicks. You know, mm. and so I think that's a really good point of like stick around and find out and mm. and not just being like so quick to, to try to vet people. Mm. That's really cool. The thing that kind of comes to my mind is like if I asked someone, like the difference between these two things is like if I looked at someone's shopping list and they were going to make lasagna and I saw that they had all of the like ingredients for lasagna, I was like, that's a lasagna. But it's actually just like a shopping list. Versus like me not knowing what's in the lasagna that I'm looking at, but like taking a bite and tasting it and be like, that's lasagna. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. 
It's kind of like that. What would, what would you say to somebody, though, who, like, maybe would want to push back on this and be like, no, I want more of, like, a concrete, like, it's hard for me to distinct, like, if someone's actually, like, being sanctified. And they're like, well, what if it seems like, uh, like, a Mormon is being sanctified or something like that? Like, they don't believe, like, what I believe. And so it's better for me to use, like, the shopping list thing because mm-hmm. I can more better, like, understand more that. Better. More better. understand <laughs> that they're, like, not a Christian or something like that. What would you say to someone who would prefer more of, like, the list view because it helps them distinct, like, mm-hmm. cults and stuff like that? Yeah, no, that's that's a very valid concern. And I think that we can, we can rest on, like, you know, what the church has said about the very, very important doctrines. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that it takes, like, to, to live a life like Christ, or at least to transform mm-hmm. to be like Christ, it does take, like, a certain sort of set of doctrines, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know about grace, right, yeah. to, to be able to be Christian. Like, you, there's, like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to know about forgiveness. And you also have to know about the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually another problem of, like, thinking of doctrines as just, like, truth claims. Mm-hmm. Like, people who think of doctrines like that, they think of the Trinity and they're just like, oh, yeah, like, that's what I have to believe. Mm. But the Trinity has a lot of meaning. Yeah. It has so much meaning. You know, the Trinity is is a doctrine about, like, the perfect, like, love between between the figures of the Godhead. Right. 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 Um, and so once you once you believe in the Trinity, like, you have this deep, deep understanding of love that is, like, timeless. Mm. But it's also like, ah, it's just it's just so mysterious. Right. Mm. And you have this understanding of love that is required for you to to be sanctified in a certain way mm. right um and so yeah like there there is room for essential doctrines in this understanding of doctrine mm. it's just that for a doctrine to be essential it, it means that you need that doctrine to be transformed to look like christ right. if you don't have it then you're you're missing something right, right? um but, but another point as well is that you know what if you what if you encounter like a mormon or someone that you don't agree has all the essential essential doctrines mm. But you see that they are transforming to be like Christ. Well, here's here's what I would say to that. Um, it it's a good point, right? Like mm. it seems kind of like scary. Like what what use is doctrines then? Mm. But also like throughout someone's life, they don't always believe the same thing. Like I'm sure I'm sure people who have been Christian for more than more than two years, you probably don't believe the exact same things you did on day one, mm. right? And so this is part of the the motivation to stick around and find out because people will change in what they believe, Hmm. right? Like as you are sanctified, your beliefs are also sanctified. Because remember what we said earlier, like a lot of times you do choose your beliefs because you like them Hmm. and because they help you justify your sin, right? Or or something like Hmm. that, right? But as you're sanctified, your heart is renewed and your beliefs are renewed, Hmm. right? And so what if that Mormon, you know, maybe they don't believe in the Trinity now, Hmm. but somewhere along the way they accept it right they Mm -hmm. they convert to some some other like um i guess some other orthodox denomination right because they are transformed like that's how you can tell Mm -hmm. that's how you and Mm -hmm. and to be honest like that person probably needs you in that moment of their life yeah right they need some question to show them what christian love is you know if they are on if they're truly on this process of sanctification and all the Christians are just like, no, you're not one of us. How are they going to, you know, that's not going to be easy for them. And that's so um, interesting, too, because, like, Christians, one, Christians should always be in, like, outreach mode, you know, in a sense of, like, if there's some, maybe you have a friend or a co-worker who's a Mormon. 
I think it's good to have a conversation like, hey, I don't agree that we are the same thing. You know, the substance of what we believe is totally different foundations. Like the image of God you have and the image of God I have are not, not the same. And like even Mormons would agree probably if I said like, do you believe in a God of this triune that Jesus is God and that he didn't, he wasn't a God, a man that became God. They'd say, no, we don't believe that. And no one would be upset about that. But the idea that I love that you're getting at is stick around and find out, like be part of their life, like keep pursuing them. Don't just excommunicate them and not have a relationship with them. Because if it's true that they're after truth, and if it's true that they're after like whatever that looks like and they're not going to stop till they get it, they will come around and become a Christian, you know, and they will get to that point where they're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, uh, I've been studying the Bible and praying and seeking and this is evidence to me that this is the way to go. And they, they're going to need someone around to kind of guide them there. And you might very well be that person that God has put there in their life to lead them the rest of the way or a mm-hmm. part of the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this, this also gets us into the question of, well, what, what does it mean to be a heretic? Because hmm. that's a question that we throw around a lot. Yeah. And I think that most of us has the, have the understanding that heresy is simply just disagreeing on some fundamental point of doctrine. Hmm. But throughout, throughout church history, people have viewed heretics as something deeper than that. Hmm. Heresy isn't just getting it wrong. Heresy is being prideful about getting it wrong. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Um, I've been talking with uh, some Orthodox friends. And for those of you that don't know, Orthodoxy is the, it's as old as Catholicism. It's in the East, right? The Eastern part of the world. Um, and, and my Orthodox friends, they tell me that, you know, in the old days, they saw a heretic as, you know, it, it's this person in a community, right? And this, this church community is on this journey of transformation, right? Um, but this, this person gets it wrong. And the community tries to, you know, correct them and they try to um, be understanding with them. But the person keeps persisting in what they think is right. Hmm. Right. And so a heretic is someone who doesn't um, who doesn't conform or refuses to conform to their church community. And like sometimes that is right. Right. Like Luther, Luther kind of had to break away from Rome, Hmm. you know, because because the Catholic Church at that time was pretty messed up with the indulgences. Right. But. But normally, right, a heretic is someone who persists in getting it wrong, even when they're shown that they're wrong, hmm. right? Heretic, heresy is more about pride than it is about doctrine. Hmm. Um, and so whenever we, you know, whenever we encounter people with, you know, quote unquote, bad doctrine, we, you know, we can't just judge them as a heretic just then. We have to stick around and find out, right? Just as, just as we have to, to, to tell if they're a true Christian, hmm. um, if they persist in, in falsity, if they persist in in false doctrine, then that's a heretic. Hmm. But it, it takes a lot, a lot to get there. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And this also the question of grace, like how grace, how gracious are you willing to be with people who get it wrong? Hmm. And at that point, I would invite, you know, I would invite the listener to to look at themselves, like how much grace are they giving themselves yeah. for being wrong, and time and time again, right? Wow, it's much more like grace filled view. And even like a, a progression. I think we hate progression a lot of the times. At least I do. Like I want immediate results. I want to know what is right and what's wrong. I want to follow it. And like when I mess up, like I mess up and I, there's forgiveness. But I still at least I know like what's right and what's wrong. And I can like, I can know like I'm in it. And mm-hmm. it's it's hard to have that ambiguity and even stick around for people who are in a process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. When really that's like a large part of the gospel. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that thing with that too is like I love that you said how much grace does the listener need, and the problem is like probably most people aren't giving themselves the grace that they need as either. You know, mm-hmm. like the reason that they might be impatient with other people, like you're not getting right, is because that's how they feel about themselves. You know, and it's like please receive the grace that God has for you, and don't think that you're so. Um, like, don't be so prideful to reject God's grace. And, like, God's not, God's patient, you know. He's, he's very patient. He's going to, like, stick with you until you get it right. And he's not going to give up on you. He's, like, the, like, the maybe Little League football player, like, trips and falls. And is, like, having a hard time. Or maybe, like, the, I don't know, track stars, like, doing hurdles and, like, trips. And rather than, like, be on the side and, like, yelling, like, get up, what are you doing? God's more like a dad who's like, come on, you can still do it. Go after it. Try again. Like, he's more, like, on the sidelines screaming, like, you got this, mm-hmm. rather than, like, what's wrong with you? You know, if we recognize that that's how God is to us, <clears throat> then it makes sense for us to kind of be like that to people. And also, you'll be able to be like that to people. It's like, you can't give what you don't have. So we need to receive that ourselves and then look at other people with that same type of patience and empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and another thing that people might push back on this view with is, you know, maybe it's too gracious, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where do we draw the line between, you know, oh, we should just be gracious and like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, we have to disagree right now. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, grace is actually, grace itself is the motivation to disagree. Mm -hmm. Because if we, if we think about church unity as this shared journey of transformation, then to transform together means to disagree a lot, right? Disagreement is very important in the church. Hmm. Um, right now, like this is this is kind of where I've been headed with with my own career. I've been doing a lot of thinking about politics and the church's engagement with politics. Hmm. And in America, I, I sort of see like two flaws on the left and on the right in the church, hmm. right? On the, on the left, Christians are becoming very apologetic for what they believe. Hmm. And they are sort of buying into this sort of like progressive agenda and like, you know, suddenly for them, Jesus is like the perfect Democrat, right? Um, but then on the right, like people, I think people in the church are seeing the decline of Christianity and they are getting very anxious about it, mm-hmm. right? And so they're very susceptible to um, conspiracy theories and radical, like radical mm-hmm. ways of ideology. Right? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like both sides have this anxiety about the future mm-hmm. and they're both sort of losing their grip on what it means to be Christian. Right. Mm. Both sides are, are sort of um, selling the gospel for a political agenda. Yeah. And if we really care about transforming together, then we are going to hold each other accountable. Right. And it's, it isn't going to be like, no, you're wrong. But like, no, like you're selling yourself short. Like this is this is not what Jesus has called you to. Mm. And so if if our unity is around sanctification, that we have to we have to sanctify ourselves together. Mm. We have to work together, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and so this view, you know, it's not saying like, oh, like just, you know, be happy, let go and let God <laughs> like, no, like take an active role in what is happening in this world. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yeah. Darren and I have been having a lot of conversations about Jesus and politics and like talking about having an episode on it and, and whatnot about like mm-hmm. how Jesus didn't seem to, to care too much about politics. Like he was, so he's, he's about his kingdom. Right. Yeah. And as we pursue his kingdom, then we also kind of leave that part of the world behind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, our belief in Jesus will determine the ways we vote and ideologies we have. Yeah. But it's not so much the central thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the thing that Jesus confronted all the time was the problem that was right in front of the individual. Like, 
we're going to talk about on that on one of our next episodes. Uh, when he confronts the centurion, like the centurion is literally the person oppressing his people. And so he's like actively the oppressor in the situation, which we care about a lot in America, um, like that kind of a thing and confronting that. And he just doesn't address it at all. Like he, he actually just looks at the guy's faith and he's like, when you enter the kingdom, that kind of thing is going to be sorted out eventually by you following me is like my thought of what he was thinking on that. Cause he just takes the guy's faith and he's like, like your faith has allowed this person that you want to be healed to be healed. Um, and maybe he addresses other stuff outside of what's recorded in the Bible with the centurion, but it's not told us. Like, the thing that's important, it seems, is the guy's faith and that he's willing to follow Christ and have faith in him. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of a side, a side mm-hmm. plot. Well, another thing, too, like, Jesus also healed, or not healed, but he, like, shared in the gospel himself and prophesied over the Samaritan woman. And they were, like, looking at, like, as, like, mixed-blood, second-class citizens by mm-hmm. the Jews. And so it's all everywhere that the Jews are probably, like, why is this prophet talking to our oppressors and the scum? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, we're the ones who have promised the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, it's, and Jesus is so always bringing the backwards kingdom, which, or the upside down kingdom, upside down, yeah, yeah. which I love. You know, it's like the very person that you think that is the farthest from heaven or the one that deserves least of heaven, which you probably shouldn't think that at all if you're a Christian. But the very person you're like, no, not them, is the very person God It's like, I'm going to go get them. Mm-hmm. And probably going to get the save them in front of you to try to confront pride, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I've been thinking about church church unity and, like, unity and doctrine is not the only facet, right? Mm-hmm. There's also racial unity. There's yeah. also ethnic, national, uh, political unity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we think about sanctification, like, there's there's no one that can't be sanctified, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you can be, you know, a supposed oppressor, you can be a member of the oppressed class. Mm-hmm. And the both of you can sort of transcend this and like break it apart, yeah. right? Like that's what Jesus does with these sort of like lines of division and oppressive structures. He breaks them apart, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's through that shared journey of, of transformation that this world is going to be brought to its knees. Right. And that is uh, that's something that only can be done through the power of God, right? Like, mm-hmm. you only have, like, Jesus calling a tax collector and a zealot to follow him. It's like, you only have the tax collector and zealot, which, if you understand the culture, those are, like, the very opposite extremes that mm-hmm. you can get, right? One's working for the oppressor, one wants to overthrow the oppressor. And so, it's like... I have to think about that too. Like only Jesus can bring people of two opposite extremes and bring them and, say, and tell them both, "Hey, abandon what you are, what you hold so dear, and follow me." Mm-hmm. And and then having and then calling those people to be unified and be one. And then it's like that reproduces, and it's like, yeah, the gospel is the only answer to cure classism, racism, um, any ism, sexism, all that. And like I was just talking to a pastor, and I was in Kauai last week, and. Um, I want to have this pastor on the podcast, and he's just, like, got a really cool story. But he is a, he's a white guy who's called to plant a church among a majority Hispanic community that was more inner city. Mm. And so he did, and he was always saying, like, you know, if we have, like, 80% white people in the church in a majority Hispanic area, that's a problem. And so he was always about, like, 50-50 or, or less. Like, he wants, like, a lot more of, like, what with like the normal like minorities like in his church and so because he's all about like racial reconciliation in the, in the church and how the church is the answer to that or jesus is but via the church and so he had he said that he had called for a time of repentance on sunday morning for racism 
and primarily he called for the white people to apologize to the minorities for like um biases they had or like underlying like um views that they didn't recognize and he said like a lot of people did it was really healing but also like 20 percent of the white population of his church didn't come back after that sunday and he was wow. just like he's like yeah he's like you know the gospel's offensive and some people are prideful and don't want to deal with it but that's too bad for them like we're gonna pursue god and we're gonna we're gonna have like peace among and, and like unity in our church mm. and so he's someone i would love to hear have on but like that was just like such a like a really cool story about like how he and he saw like, he'd also say too like he's like if my he's like my staff team cannot be more than 50 percent white mm. he's like i will not allow it he's in Kauai right now church planting and so he's like looking for connections right now and he's like i need maybe six people and i only he's like it's me and my and he's like so maybe only two of those could be white he's like everyone else has to be islanders he's yeah like, for sure. it makes sense it's the demographic he's going to yeah it'd be weird if it's not right yeah but i just think i've been thinking about like yeah how jesus is the answer to cure racism and it's not just like hey stop being mad at each other stop having these preconceived ideas it's love each other it's like one step further and this is something that i've been thinking about too is that we we emphasize being justified a lot in the church mm. right like you come to church to be saved mm. but jesus you know in the great commission he doesn't say go out and preach the gospel making converts of all nations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says go out and preach the gospel making disciples of all nations mm-hmm. like it isn't just like you know have someone pray the lord's prayer no it's like live with like do life with people mm. um again like stick around and find out stick around and grow with them mm. right and um yeah like for thousands of years the church has had the answer that the world is so desperately trying to find right like everyone is trying to trying to make their their companies more diverse everyone's trying to make their their uh, systems more equitable but there's oh, man like christians have had this since the beginning mm-hmm. right like the very first the very first convert if i'm not mistaken was an ethiopian eunuch mm-hmm. right uh, and I, m- I remember watching this video about you know it's this this orthodox church in ethiopia and the bishop there was from the philippines mm-hmm. right he was a filipino and it's like you don't I don't know like you don't get that i mean even at my church like my church is pretty conservative but it's very diverse mm. mm-hmm. you know like we and that's not to say that we don't have room for growth but mm. even like it's it's god like it's a god thing mm-hmm. where we already have diversity we already have transcendence we already have transformation mm-hmm. um like it's, it's not something that we do mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah it, it truly is a work of god and uh whatever whatever the world wants it just can't have that mm-hmm. until it's it, recognizes where it comes from love it yeah yeah we had um a guest on a couple weeks ago named i we call him joe but i guess his professional name is father joe he's an anglican priest but he was saying how his bishops that like are like the authority over the american bishops were from africa so his whole like sect of anglicanism is like rooted more in africa and so they answer to like african bishops which i thought was like super cool it's like not only is that like probably like um a racial thing as well but also a cultural thing mm. and like the amount of humility needed to like come under a new culture and hear and teach from a new uh, and or be taught by another culture takes a lot of work in itself but it's such a if you can learn how to do it it's such a beautiful thing mm. yeah cool well we're uh we're coming to the end of our time um is there anything else you want to add into all this before we go into our last question um i guess just to sum it up you know Jesus said that the whole the whole summary of the Torah is to love 
love God and love neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about church unity, if you're thinking about diversity, like that's the perfect place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that this view is like the be all end all mm-hmm. account of Christian diversity, because you know people are going to come and and you know I'm I'm going to try and get this published as a thesis or maybe a book. Mm-hmm. People are going to critique to like right. to death, right? But what's what's important is that we have to keep the the inwardness first, right? Mm. Keep the heart first is, is basically what I'd say. If you if you if you're thinking about what it means to be a Christian, look at your heart, mm. um, and it, it truly isn't about you know what you're doing or what it's, it, it it isn't on you, right? It's it is God. Like let God let God transform you. Mm. I think I think the best way to live life is just giving it up to God, mm. right? Jesus says that he who he who lives his life for his own sake will lose it, mm. but he who loses it for mine will find it. Mm. That's great. Mm-hmm. So at the end of all of our shows, um, we always ask the, the guests our, our last question. And we created the show to try to answer hard questions that people would have. A lot of our friends fell away from the faith for different, like a myriad of questions and concerns about the Christian faith. And so we want to expose those and make them like non-taboo, basically. And so we always ask our guests, what is the thing that has challenged you the most in your Christian walk? Maybe it's an experience, maybe it's a question. Um, something that has like really rocked you in your faith and made you question um, whether you still want to be a Christian and maybe you're still in it or maybe you've overcome it. And if so, how did you overcome it? That's a big question, I know. Yeah, no. Let me, let me think about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. We've had guests give a myriad of different answers. Um, usually something like the problem of evil mm-hmm. um, or the hiddenness of God or how Christians could mystery people mm-hmm. by the typical answers we get usually. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it's like, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we sing these songs of worship. That's like, you know, God, I'm thankful for what you've done for me or God, um, you've done such great things for me. And sometimes it's like you step, you step back and you're like, well, what has God done for me? Mm. Right. Like we, I mean, we, we grow up on scriptures full of stories about how God, parts the seas for people and mm-hmm. how God heals leprosy. And then we look at our own life and we're like, well, how, what has God done for me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what has been the good of becoming a Christian? Mm-hmm. And this, this has actually been like what sort of like factored into my thinking um, here is like, God may not be parting the seas, right? There's, there's a story. Is it, and you can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. Is it Moses that he takes up to the mountain and he, he passes by as like mm-hmm. the wind and then he passes by as a sandstorm? Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's Elijah. It's I think maybe both. Because I think he, I know both. Elijah, no, it was Elijah was the, the sand, the storm and the thunder and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Are you talking about the whisper yeah, so part? Elijah. Yeah, the whisper. Yeah, that's Elijah. Yeah. yeah. Was that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I always thought that that was very compelling. Right, because I again I started off like very charismatic, and it was all about you know God is present when He heals, God is present when people speak in tongues, when they prophesy. But after getting out of that, like it's sort of I didn't see a lot of activity anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I read that story, right? You know, God takes Elijah to this mountain. He passes by in this storm, but God was not in the storm. He passes by in the fire, but God was not in the fire. And all of a sudden, everything is still, and Elijah is listening so very intently. And then God presents himself as this voice, right? this soothing, soothing, still small voice. And God was there. Mm. You know, God wasn't in the in the bells and the whistles. God was there, you know, with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about what has God done 
like with our lives, what is our testimony? You know, what's what's our Egypt that we've um, gone out of? It's the way that we've been taught to live. Mm. Like that that has been foundational for me, revolutionary for me. Mm. That you know, the proof that God exists is in the way that we that we treat each other, the way that we love each other, the way that we serve the world. Um, you know, Jesus in, and you had brought this up in your prayer earlier, but Jesus said in, in his prayer in the garden um, that we would be one as he and the Father are one mm. so that the world would know that God sent Christ, mm. right? That's the apologetic. That is the apologetical argument that proves that Jesus is the Son of God, is our love. Mm. And when we think about, you know, how do we know that this is true? Well, look for those glimpses that you see of the kingdom of God. Look for those glimpses of Eden. Look for your look at your own hope that someday all everything is going to be better again. Because mm-hmm. you know? um, we can make our arguments for and against God's existence mm-hmm. and for the history of historicity of the resurrection, right. but I mean, as a, as a student of philosophy, I don't have a lot of trust in in arguments. Like arguments don't do much. Arguments don't care about what you live and the pain that you're going mm-hmm. through. Wow. I, that's, I think that's the main problem with the Odyssey, right? When people try to wow. justify God in light of evil. Like, even even if you knew why evil exists and why God can be good at the same time, mm. you're still in pain. Right. You know, when I get hurt, I don't care about why it's happening. I just want to be made well. Mm. And it's about, it's that, you know, it's it's that desire to be made well that we can find the truth. Mm. Like, why do you want to be made well? What do you, what does it look like to be made well? Mm. It's the kingdom of God, right? That's what Jesus came to preach. He, he came to preach the kingdom of God. Yes, it is about your salvation and about my salvation, but it's about restoring everything to how it's supposed to be, mm. right? Mm. We're, we're all being called to that that grand project. Um, so long answer short, like the proof is in the pudding. Mm. The proof is in how we love each other, how we how we act, how we live. And that has been, that has truly been the, the sort of uh, cornerstone of my faith. Mm. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I love it. That was a great answer. I really appreciate it. That's a new view on the Odyssey I haven't heard, but mm. I, I think it gets to the root of things. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and before, before we go as well, mm. um, I just wanted to say thank you so much, you guys. Like you, I think that the church is approaching a very crucial point in its time, mm. um, especially in the West. Like, you know, everything is on the decline. We're, we're moving towards a more secular world. And we're going to need to do a lot of thinking about what it's going to look like mm. on the other side. Mm-hmm. And like podcasts like this, like even if it, even if the whole world doesn't listen in, like what matters is that the church is thinking about important things. Mm. And the ministry that you guys are doing, like I just want to exhort you, like this is very important and mm. this is seen, and this is appreciated. And God is God is really pleased with, with what's going on here. So mm. thank I you like so it, much man. for doing Thank you. Awesome. That was encouraging. Appreciate yeah. that. Cool, y'all. Yeah. So like, that's why you should share the podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to plug before we go? Um. Well, you can follow me on TikTok. That's where I've been doing most of my, I guess, community work. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at yochannon underscore activist. Nice. Um, you, you can also follow me on Instagram. Only A's are accepted. No underscores, no nothing. Mm. Um, and yeah, like... Moving into the future, I'm trying to become a professor, but hopefully, hopefully, I can do some work that'll that'll help the church. 
yeah. um, you know, just think more deeply, live more deeply. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might, you might see me around again. But, That's awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. We'd love to have you on again as well. If you ever want to come on the show again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, when you drop your book, we'll have you on. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to the next time. Guys, check out the um, other episodes that we released. We got stuff with like uh, Peter Valk about how he overcame shame and, um, mm-hmm. And being a, like a Christian who struggles, well, I don't want to say struggles, is homosexual and a Christian and mm-hmm. still holds to biblical sex ethic. We have stuff on if you're single, why are you still single for a long time? And does God have a plan for your singleness and what's mm-hmm. up with that? And a myriad of other um, yeah. episodes that try to answer your hard questions. So go check them out, share with your friends, and um, share this podcast with your friends who are questioning like, oh yeah, the I, what I've found, I think this is kind of valuable for the episode, is that people will say Christianity is not true because of all the disunity or all the different denominations. Mm. There's 30,000 different views. Mm, like, yeah. You guys can't even agree. How do you know you're true? But this conversation is kind of very essential to answer that question. So mm. um, share that with all your friends as well. And we'll see you guys later. Shoots.